Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Today we're going to do a message on Father's Day. I titled it, Lessons from Jesus' Stepdad. Um, we know that Jesus' father, uh, biologically, was the Holy Spirit. It was God. Um, but he grew up in the home of Joseph. Joseph was his earthly father. And it's interesting, um, when you think of Joseph, you think, well, that, that, that was his role. But he gets mentioned a number of times. And there's a few things that we can learn about him. And we can grow as fathers as a result. Matthew 119 is one of the first mentions of Joseph. And it's right after he discovered that his fiancée, with whom he had never been, was pregnant. And the Bible says that because Joseph was a righteous man, he sought to put her away quietly. Now, that word righteous, some translations will put, say, just. But I looked that up, and it talks about it. It's referring to his standing with God. Because he was a right person with God, that he sought to be in right standing with God, because he sought always to do that which pleased God, it is important that we as fathers, the core of our identity be our right standing with God. Our place with God. We are seeking to do right. Now, does that mean you never make a mistake? Absolutely not. But his defining characteristic was that he sought to do right. It, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to tell this story so that it comes across the same way it did to me. But a few years back, I say a friend, but it wasn't a real close friend, but it was, it was some people that we knew. And they, they were adults, parents. Their kids were oh, 10 and 7 and in that age group. And I discovered that they had never in their life had an issue with cigarette smoking, but decided to try it out. Now, are any of you guys, like, surprised? Like, I'm not overly shocked when, you know, a young person, in order to fit in, tries to do something. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't you know, recommend it, but I also don't get totally shocked when some kid in their struggle to find identity rebels and tries to do something stupid simply because I know my parents don't want me to, and so I'm going to try this. There, there are... But for a grown adult who has children, who's trying to be an example, to just be like, I know what the Surgeon General says. I'm not addicted. I don't have a problem. Maybe I'll just start smoking. When there's a multi-billion dollar industry of people trying not to smoke. And I remember just thinking, something doesn't compute. Did anybody else just kind of think like, that's not normal? Why? This was someone who knew the right thing to do and was simply, consciously, overtly choosing to do the opposite. 
I'm just going to try out smoking. They, they didn't have an addiction, but they exposed themselves to one. They were beyond the stage in life where they should have been pushed by peer pressure. And to my knowledge, there wasn't a bunch of people inviting them to. They literally went out, bought cigarettes by themselves, and just started smoking them to see what would happen. And I tell that because it exemplifies a disregard for what they knew to be the right choice. As a father, we need to reject that. We should not have pet problems. Oh, I know that that's wrong, but I keep choosing to do it. Because I don't even try to stop. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you do not grow weary in doing good, you will reap a harvest. Think about that. Doing the right thing will reap a harvest. Either... To, to knowingly do the opposite is to one of the, either not care about the end result or not trust that God will bless the right choice. We, when we choose knowingly to do wrong, either we're, we're deciding, you know what, I, I think God got it wrong. If, if I cheat on my taxes, I'm going to be better off. If I, you know, steal from my company, I'm going to be better off. No, there is no reaping and sowing. But the Bible says, God said this way, he said, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. If we believe what the Bible says, then we recognize, you know what? When I strive to do right, I will be blessed. James 4.17 says it this way. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. As a father, we are examples to our children, to our kids. We need to strive to do right. Strive to do right. Now, someone's like, okay, there you go. Well, what's, a, what's a biblical father? He does everything right. No, it's not perfection. Listen to what Paul said in Romans seven fifteen. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not know the good I want to do, but the evil that I want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. What is his inner being? That is his soul. That is his true self. We are spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit 
has been renewed. If we have accepted salvation, the Bible says that we have been made new. Our spirit is renewed. Our mind is being renewed. And our flesh is our flesh. He says, my inner being, the real me, delights in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. Same word, that inner inner being. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that I subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, again, that's his inner being, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. This describes a battle. A battle between the sin nature of the flesh and the renewed righteousness that is in our spirit. We, as, as, as fathers, need to exemplify the, the battle to choose right. You need to exemplify the battle to choose right. My kids don't need to see that I've never made a mistake. My kids need to see that I try to do right, apologize for my mistakes, and make them right. It's worse for my kids to say, I would rather my kids say, yeah, he makes mistakes, but he apologizes and he tries to make them right, than he always covers his mistakes, he never admits to anything wrong. Believe me, your kids know that you make mistakes. Your wife knows that you make mistakes. Yes, got a smile from that. But it is my prayer that they recognize I do endeavor, I struggle to make right. Joseph was intentional about doing the right thing, to be right with God. When he knew what God asked of him, he would endeavor to do it. There's a difference between when you know and you don't know. Sometimes you don't know what God wants you to do in a particular situation. Well, you've got to figure that out. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when you know, man, let me just encourage you. If you know what is right, none of this, well, I just have a bad temper and I've quit trying to work on that. Oh, I just, you know, th- that's just me. I, everyone just has to accept that I'm going to do that. No. Least of all you, don't accept that. Strive. Number two. Joseph handled crisis with dignity. At the house, when there's a crisis, who do you call? Kind of depends on which crisis it is. But I think of a while back, I get frantic screams from some of the kids I'm getting a phone call from I don't remember who what what had happened the grill had caught on fire and you know they want me to come there was another time our neighbor's grill we have a problem with grills our neighbor's grill caught on fire began to catch his patio on fire 
They came over, help, help, help. If, if a friend is bleeding, when there's a crisis, if there's a car accident, who do you call? I tell you, I've got three drivers now. And when I know that my kids left and I get a phone call, I always wonder, I wonder if this is the time they're going to call for a situation. <laughs> Fortunately, it hasn't happened yet. But we as, we as fathers are on call for crisis. Now, there is no value in panicking. As a father, you're called to be the one who does not panic. How do you not panic? You trust in the Lord. Matthew 1.18, we're going to get the example from Joseph's life. It says, now the birth of Jesus was as follows. So he had a crisis. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, we read that part already, and not wanting to make her a public example, was mindful to put her away secretly. He reacted, but he didn't overreact. He didn't make a scene. He didn't say, you know what, I want everybody to know it wasn't my fault. He, his original plan was to do so quietly. Then the, the angel comes to him and says, no, you need to stay. Stay on that plan. You need to plan to marry her. And so he didn't put her away. He strategically took no action. Then, after Jesus was born, when Herod was learning from the, the wise men about the birth of Jesus and discovering that, that Jesus existed and that he was prophetically called to be on the throne and have his throne, and he, he got all upset and he went out to kill all the young children, an angel went to Joseph and said, get up. Take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for and the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. I look at those two things and in Joseph strategically did not take action and divorce or cancel their engagement and he strategically took action right away, left in the middle of the night. Joseph stepped up when there was a crisis. He was there, leading and following God's leading. Number three, he served selflessly. He did the right thing even when it was not pleasant for him. How many of you realize getting married and having no honeymoon night is not most men's plan? But the Bible says that's what Joseph did. The Bible says that he waited until after Jesus was born. And then he took on Jesus who wasn't his own child. The Bible says in Ephesians, husbands, Verse 25, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's interesting 
that the Bible says to us men. It says to love, and then it clarifies how. It says love in the way Jesus loved. And a lot of times when you hear the word love, you think of of romantic, you know, bouquets of flowers and, and heart music. By the way, was that not awesome? Like, I forgot how much I like heart music. I was like, oh. That stuff's good. That sounded amazing. I don't even know, was that, was that even magnified? I think it was just, it just filled the room. It was beautiful. Um, boy, I just got distracted. Romantic. What does love look like? It says you need to love with the love that Jesus had. The love that laid down his life. A husband, a father is called specifically to love with a giving, sacrificing love. What does that mean? If you look and he's driving a brand new sports car and she's driving a rusty minivan, something's wrong. That's not sacrificial love. I get first and you get the leftovers. You guys are are all here to serve me and, and I'm the the greatest thing in the household, everybody else is here for me. And if there's anything left over afterwards, you, you can have some. That's not, that's not a godly father. The Bible says in John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no man than he lay down his life for one's friend. We are called as fathers to be sacrificial. I say it this way. If there's only room for one car in the garage... Husbands, you should be the one scraping ice off your windshield. That's sacrificial love. And I'm using little examples. There are so many bigger examples. But we are called to be sacrificial, to lay down our lives. We give in a way. I remember... I don't remember the date, but it was back when the, the Gulf crisis had taken place. And I, I think I was just out of high school and um, went to a wedding. And I was at this table with a bunch of, of people that I, I barely knew. And I remember listening as a couple of the guys at the table who were not in the military were talking about what was going on and, and um, the crisis. Maybe this was right after 9-11. And, 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 you know, the country had been attacked. And these guys were just like pumping each other up about maybe we should join, maybe we should offer. And I was just thinking to myself, I was just in awe of how these guys were ready to give their lives for a cause. And I remember just being in, in surprise at the nature that would take someone who, who was going in one direction with their life, completely had it planned out, got, you know, I'm going to go do this career, and then the country was attacked, and they turned and said, I'll give my life for that. What is that? That is, that is self-sacrificing. And this isn't a recruitment video for the military. This isn't anything like that. But I want us to recognize that there is a characteristic 
that God has put in men that we are to draw on, which empowers us to sacrifice for our families. This is how we love. Now, some people are going to say, well, isn't, isn't my family supposed to honor me? Doesn't the Bible say honor your father and mother? Don't I get to be king of the, king of the castle? I've got a verse for you. Proverbs 27.2. Let someone else praise you and not your mouth, your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. Yes, Scripture says honor your father and mother. Yes, it is important that your children learn to be respectful and honoring. And especially when they're young, when they begin to be disrespectful and whatever, we have to teach them, you know, that's disrespectful, you don't talk that way, you don't do that. But men, you need to teach your kids to honor your wife. If you catch them, you should be saying, that's not honoring. You need to, you need to treat her with honor. It needs to be our goal that we should be able to say, no, that's not honor. Watch what I'm doing. That's what honor is. We need to honor our wives. And yes, our wives should honor us, but not because we forced her to. That's not honor. You are called to give sacrificially. She is called to honor and submit, but we've talked about this before. Submitting isn't something you make someone do to you. That's something they voluntarily do. Otherwise, it's not submission. It's subjugation. That's not at all. You, as, as a father, are called to be sacrificial. We have to correct our kids when they're younger. But our kids should not see parents trying to force each other to honor. I've seen that. I know I've been guilty in moments of, of trying to, to wrangle honor. That's not, that's not the biblical way. We don't wrangle honor. We demonstrate honor. We exemplify honor. As fathers, we give and we sacrifice and we, as the Bible describes it, we lay down our life just as Christ laid down his life for the church. You will. You, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a particular family. Um, <laughs> it'll sound funny that I'm using them as an example because in many ways they aren't a family you want to emulate. But... Um, they had about five or six kids, and um, he was kind of a simple, hard-working fella. Um, she wasn't satisfied with the life that he was providing and wanted to do some other things, so she left him. Um, this is years ago. Their kids now have kids. but. She brought all the kids together and just trashed him. 
legally got complete custody. He ended up moving to a, a, a out of state and just doing everything he knew to do to be a blessing, but he was, he was barred. And, and many people have looked at, and in, I, I'm, I'm sorry for those of you who have, have been in broken families and, and situations like that, but I've, I've talked to so many people who say, you know, what do I do? My, you know, I'm, I'm broken up. My, my ex is talking trash about me. I said, you don't talk trash about them. You don't. And as those kids were younger, she had their ear. But their understanding at three and eight and ten, they reassessed the, the situation at ten and thirteen and seventeen, and they reassessed the situation at ten and at seventeen and twenty and twenty-two. And it was interesting to see, over the course of the next couple of years, five of the six kids moved to the state where he lives. He gave, he honored. They, they saw through consistency what was happening. The lies that they were told, they quit believing. Not because he ever trashed them. Not because he, he fought against her, but because he lived a consistent, consistent, not perfect, but but godly life. I know him. I know his kids. I know some of his grandkids. And today, he is blessed. Very blessed. Because he was consistent in doing all the ways he knew to be honoring and to lay down his life. Honor your father and mother. You are self-sacrificing. As, as a father, say it with me. I serve. I sacrifice. We should be the first ones. I, you know, the, the weird examples that come to my mind are, are, are the little ones. Who gets the heel of the bread? Who gets that sandwich? My mom actually likes them, so we had a weird dynamic growing up. But, you know, how do you do that? Are you obligated? Now, there's nothing wrong. If, if those in your household honor you by giving you the first slice or getting you, giving you the best cut of the meat, whatever, that's fine. It is wonderful when, as the Bible says, when others honor you. But there's a difference between being given, offered, the first cut, the best cut, and stepping in there and saying, I need to have. Who paid for this? Who did, you know? That's not a godly approach. Next, Joseph heard from God. God spoke to Joseph many times. The initial one we've, we heard about through the angel. He also appeared to him in a dream. It, let's see. In Matthew 2.13, he heard escape to Egypt. Go there. In Matthew 2.19, the Lord instructed him to come back 
from Egypt and returned to Israel. In Matthew 2, through 23, he heard again from God and decided to settle in Nazareth. He listened to God. Now, how does God speak? All right? God speaks through his word, through his peace, through prophecy, through dreams and visions, through audible voice or angels, and lastly, through fleeces. Now, I want to go through this, just a second. When we look at his word, we confirm what we hear from God in his word with his word. This sounds odd if you've never heard it before, but you interpret the Bible with the Bible. What does that mean? If you grab a scripture, and, and, and Judas went to the field and hung himself, okay, that's a scripture. How do I know? Is it, is it instructing me to do that? No, I take the context. I look at the scripture. I look at everything else that it says, and I recognize that Judas was not being held up as a good example, but a bad one. He had just been named as the, the traitor and all of it. I can look at scripture, and I can learn, okay, I understand how to, to read that. I use scripture to confirm and understand scripture. Dreams and visions. If I have a dream and I wonder if it's from God, is this a godly dream? What do I use to confirm? I don't just, oh, I had a dream. It must be true. No, I take and I, I confirm that dream against God's word. I look and say, is it contrary? Is this dream telling me that I need to divorce my wife and marry some other lady? Well, is that what the Bible tells me to do? No. Okay. Pretty clear. I also confirm it with his peace. Because the Bible says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. What does it rule mean? Steer your heart. Let the peace of God guide your heart. What do we use to confirm? Hey, I'm feeling peace about this. Well, am I feeling peaceful because God is leading me or because I just took a Xanax? I compare it to what the word says. I confirm it with scripture. Prophecies. If someone comes and says, the Lord says, do you just accept it? Not necessarily. You confirm it against scripture. Are they telling me to do something scriptural? And does that confirm something that he has been leading me with his spirit? Dreams and visions. Can God use dreams and visions? Yes, he can. We confirm those against scripture and his peace. If if we hear an audible voice or see an angel, we confirm that with scripture. And I, I meant to look up the verse, but there is a verse where Paul says, hey, even if an angel comes to you and says, do this contrary to, don't believe it. He says, if an angel comes and says to you something contrary to what the scripture has said, don't believe it. We we compare and confirm even a supernatural audible voice or an angelic visitation. We confirm that with scripture. And if it doesn't align with scripture, gone. And lastly, something people call fleeces. What's a fleece? Do you guys remember the story of Gideon? Gideon was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God, God actually told him, I want you to go to this. He's like, well, just to confirm whether this is really you, I'm going to put out a fleece. And in the morning, I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. And it was. And then he said the next day, now I want the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. And it was. 
Here's the problem with fleeces. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say, and they are led by fleeces. Does it happen? Yes, it does. How do you confirm a fleece? Through all of those other areas. The problem with fleeces, I believe, is because they are out there in the natural realm, they are easy for the devil to manipulate. See, God says, my sheep know my voice. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 27, it says, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. In other words, your spirit is the avenue through which God sheds light into your life. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. What that means is that when God wants to lead you, he wants to do so through your spirit, not through how wet your grass is in the morning. Now, can God and has God used circumstances to lead people still? I believe he has. But what I see scripturally when I compare that to the word is that God's desire is not to lead us there. With that, he wants to speak to us. He says that his sheep know his voice. We can, we can come to recognize the difference between his voice and the enemy's voice in our heart. How do you know whether it was him or the enemy who made your grass wet? That's harder. Does it happen? Yes. But I believe as, as mature Christians, we are not to seek to be led by those types of things. God, if you want me to go to that church, then I need you to you know, make it rain tomorrow between 8 and 9. And if it doesn't, if it rains between 9 and 10, I go to the Baptist church. And if it rains between 11 and 12, I go to... That, that isn't how we are called to be led by the Lord. He says that it is the spirit of man. Joseph listened to God. He followed God's leading. We are to do the same. Number five, he obeyed God's voice. On every relocation, he did it. He obeyed. He married a pregnant girl that he didn't get pregnant. He left the very night for Egypt. He obeyed. When you know it's God's will, do it. If you know it's God's will, do it. If you don't know, then keep seeking to understand. Lastly, he taught his son well. Joseph faithfully fulfilled all the requirements of Scripture. When, when he knew there was something right to do, he did it. The Bible says that Jesus developed in stature with God and man. We don't see a lot. Now, there are some writings that have been written. They're not inspired. We don't know that they're inerrant. But there are some writings that talk about Joseph, historical writings. And you can, you can learn a few more things about him. He was a good man. There's no evidence anywhere. To the contrary, he was a good example, teacher, he taught Jesus to be a carpenter, how to do those things well. We have multiple examples 
Luke 2.21, Luke 2.27, Luke 2.39, and Luke 2.41, all give examples of how Joseph followed the instruction of that, of, of that time. It says that on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, they, they took him. And then it says that they went to the temple courts. It says that they went regularly to the synagogues. They brought their kids. L- listen, it is important that as fathers, we exemplify prioritizing the things of God and the church and our family. Go to church. Be there. Jesus' stepdad, the Bible says, went regularly. As was the custom, he went. He, he demonstrated that. Now, Jesus probably would have gotten it right anyway. But our kids need our example. I just want to thank each and every one of you guys for the work that you're doing as fathers. We recognize none, none of you are perfect. I'm not perfect. We are, we are striving. But how many with me will strive to do right wherever the right choice is clear? All right, let's pray a blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these fathers. I pray that you would give them wisdom, that you would help them to recognize what ways they can be a better example to their kids, be a better husband to their wives. Lord, we desire to do right for our families, for our wives, for our kids. Lord, we ask that you help us to lead by example, Lord, we pray that, that they, our children would be inspired to make godly choices because of the choices they see us make. We pray that our children would learn to handle crisis because of the way they see us respond in crisis. Thank you for it. I declare blessing, wisdom, clarity. In Jesus' name, amen.